Good morning. Well, I can actually say that because there's people here. Good morning. Wow, it's been a long time. How about one more time? Good morning. Hey, there we are. Welcome, church family, and welcome to those of you who are visiting with us online. Uh, once again, welcome to the very first actual DBC live stream. Uh, up until now, we've recorded and then shown on a Sunday, but today we are live with you, and it is a joy. We have made it. After a lot of hard work from a lot of different people, uh, we've made it. So we, we praise the Lord because this is a gift today, that we're in person and we're joined together online. What, a, what an amazing gift from that. All praise and glory for that goes to the Lord today. And so today we're going to continue on after just a powerful time of musical worship. And thank you for a powerful time of prayer leading us in that, Amy, this morning. Uh, we're going to move on to a time in the Word now. And we're picking up right where we left off from last week in, in uh, the Advent Sermon Series, where Mark started us off last week. And man, he preached an amazing message from a passage of scripture that most of us normally, if we get to Matthew chapter one, you know, that list of names and the genealogy, we're kind of skipping over that because we don't really know, you know, it's name after name after name. But man, he just, it was a masterful demonstration of, of preaching through that passage and showing how Jesus wasn't born into this perfect, pristine family, but just like the rest of us in the midst of a broken family situation in his family line and as he preached through the direction and the disorder. And today we're thinking through the good news of the birth of Jesus that there is hope in the hopelessness. Uh, so let's dive into our passage today. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2. I'm going to pick it up in verse 8 and read all the way through verse 20. And I know that this is a... Uh, this is a familiar passage, so let's try to read with fresh ears today, if we can, as we hear this and read with fresh eyes. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. I'm going to be reading from the CSB, as always. It'll be on your screen here in the room, but also in the live chat feed, as well as on your screen. Um, Luke 2, verse 8. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior who is born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly, there was a multitude of the heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And after seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. And thanks be to God for the reading of His Word today. May He use it to change us mightily. This is just one portion of a much larger story uh, about the greatest miracle in all of Scripture. I'm convinced of this. When you read through the Bible, there are some really extraordinary things that happen. I mean, first off comes to mind Jesus coming and dying on the cross for us. 
That's a mir- miraculous from human terms. Him coming back to life, I mean, he's dead in the grave, coming back to life, that's a miracle. You read through all kinds of other things. Creation, what a miracle creation was. But this, this, what we've just read about, this moment in Luke chapter 2, the birth of Jesus is the greatest miracle in all of Scripture. This chapter, it shows us that the eternal, all-powerful God, the God of creation, He humbled Himself. He took upon Himself flesh and was born of a virgin. Almighty God became one of us. How astounding is that? It's mind-boggling as you try to wrap your head around not just that this happened, but why this happened. Why would he go to such great lengths to do this for humanity? But as you read through this portion of Luke 2, not just the birth, but this moment that highlights the shepherds, you see something absolutely stunning. Even more of God's purposes are revealed. We see that those who were invited into this moment aren't those with social standing. No, it it isn't the famous. It's not the wealthy. It's not those that society has deemed as important that this message comes to. Throughout this this pandemic, uh, we've all experienced this reset when it comes to uh, lots of society. And in the last few decades, the perception of who the most important people are in society, uh, that title's been given to athletes, to actors, to rock stars, to people in the public eye. But I'll never forget those evenings, and maybe you're there with me. I'll never forget those evenings standing out on my front step, seeing my neighbors in my neighborhood, standing on their front step and clapping. For those who work with the NHS, those who are essential workers still working while the rest of us were at home in lockdown. And just as this pandemic has reminded us who is really essential and what roles need to be praised in our society, God in His grace invited those who the gospel is especially for into this moment. He invites those who who seem to be in the most hopeless situations and the hopeless circumstances. The angels don't appear to kings and famous authors. They appear to the lowly. And that's because the gospel is for the lowly. That's because the gospel... It doesn't matter about your situation in life, your social status, or how much money you have. And I'm not just talking about your position. It's for the lowly in heart. The gospel is for those who feel and recognize the brokenness of their own hearts. Let's look at our passage to see what I mean this morning. Starting back at verse 8. Let's read verses 8 and 9 together. It says, In the same region... Shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified, as all of us can imagine. As you read through the Old Testament scriptures, you see that the Bible had a positive view for this vocation of shepherds. I mean, after all, the greatest king in all of the Old Testament, King David, was a shepherd. But... In this day, in Luke 2, in this day and time, in this society, society didn't look positively upon this vocation. Most scholars conclude that this vocation of shepherd wasn't even close to being at the top of the social ladder. And as best as historians can determine, they were actually despised and looked down upon. 
They were looked upon negatively. Part of this was because of their job responsibilities always being with the sheep, which never allowed them to take part in temple worship or sacrifices. Uh, so they were considered to be ceremonial unclean. Like they weren't actually able to go to the temple and perform sacrifices. So many believe that there's only one other group in all society who had a lower standing than shepherds, and that was that of the leper, which is crazy to think about. Some even point back to this, this stereotype, historically, that shepherds were typically thieves. That's just the stereotype that came with it. It wasn't the truth, it was just the stereotype. One commentator that I read this week said that the perception was that shepherds tended to have an outlook on land that blurred the lines when it came to the words mine and thine. I thought that was a clever play on words, but very sad when it came to that assumption of shepherds. These men, they wouldn't have been in the upper echelon of society. And yet, this is who the angel came to give the good news to. This is who the news about the miraculous birth was first communicated to. Angels, God's messengers, created to be before God in His presence, eternally praising Him. Angels were the one who are holy and majestic. So for them to be the ones to go and give this message to the shepherds, that tells us a lot about who Jesus came for and why he came. Put another way, the, the first proclamation of the gospel on the very night that Jesus was born was to the lowliest of men, to those who are potentially most prone to finding themselves in the midst of hopelessness. The good news of the gospel of Jesus is for all people. It's not just for some select group. It's for everyone, all strata of society. There's no such thing as too hopeless of a situation for the gospel. One other interesting bit of information when it comes to the shepherds is, is found in ancient uh, rabbinical writings. So ancient famous rabbis who would write things down and, and people would look and, and count as important. They... Some of those writings stated that one can assume that all of the sheep living from Jerusalem to Bethlehem to Nazareth, that all of those sheep would be for the express purpose of temple sacrifices. So that means that it's probable that these shepherds were actually looking after the very animals that people going and making sacrifices in the temple for their sin for before a holy God they were caring for those animals. So for God to announce the news through these angels to these shepherds in such an amazing thought, it's saying tonight marks the birth of the God of the good shepherd who will lay down his life for the sheep. He's also the one who's replacing all these animals because he's the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. It's almost as if part of the message to the shepherds that night was take heart. Though you, may think, though you may think and feel like things are hopeless and that they're never going to change, your very occupation is a picture that I have come into the world to save the world, to make things right again. News of the birth of Jesus, like the rest of his ministry, was meant for all people, especially for those in need. Let's look at the next few verses, starting in verse 9 with me. It says, Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. 
This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly, there appeared a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth to people he favors. First, one angel appears. And they were terrified at one angel. I mean, we all would have been, I think. Uh, One angel appears. We eventually see he's not alone. And I can't imagine a more stunning thing, a more stunning beacon of hope on a cold, dark night. You're sleeping out in a field. You're looking after sheep on yet another night, out in the field, sleeping there. And all of a sudden, this angel appears out of nowhere. And then this verse says that not only is there an angel that appears, but the glory of God shone around them. Not just they're blinded from the angel from the front, but around them shone the glory of God. I mean, terrified from an angel, but to see the glory of God shining around you, I I can't even put into words, and I don't even think they could have put into words the feelings that come with that kind of experience. The entire night was lit up with the glory of God. But don't miss this today, because this is important. The most miraculous part of this whole experience and this whole encounter wasn't the appearance of an angel, nor was it the night being lit up with the glory of God, as amazing as that must have been, both of those things. No, the most miraculous part was the message of verse 10. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news. Good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Hope is here. Good news has arrived. And it's not just for you, shepherds. It's for all the people. All the people. In your circumstances today, things may seem dark. It's just the reality of where we live. It's the reality of the pandemic that we're going through. It's the reality of the Advent and Christmas season. Winter is here. Things may seem dark. Things may seem hopeless. But God offers new hope that's more brilliant than you can imagine. It was so brilliant that these shepherds are forever changed by the pronouncement of this good news. It's good news that's for you and for me today. It's good news of hope in the midst of hopelessness for all peoples of the earth. Verses 11 and 12 say, Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. The angel delivers this message followed by a sign of his truthfulness. It's not like he just said, there's a baby born, we're praising God and we're leaving. No, he says, this is how you'll know that this is true, that this is how you can find the baby. He lists off four significant titles followed by the sign. So think about this with me. He says that the baby was born in the city of David. And that's not really a title, but... If you kind of extract what he's saying, it, it really kind of is. He, this was prophesied in the Old Testament, but it also ties this child as being the promised rescuer and ruler who would come and be from the lineage of David. That's why he, he doesn't say Bethlehem. He says the city of David, because that's where David was from, tying this child to being in the family line of David. And then the angel says that this baby is the Savior, 
And this was in direct opposition to the thought that the Roman Caesar, especially Augustus, who was in, in, uh, in rule at that time of, of the Roman Empire, that he would be the Savior. That was Everybody gave him that, that title, that Augustus has come to save us. No, the angel said the Savior, the true Savior is born today. And by the way, this still holds true today. No man, no ruler, no political leader, no diplomat can ever save us. We fall into that trap. We all do. We look to man to save us. But the angel says, no, the true Savior was born in Bethlehem. No peace treaty, no trade deal, no political agreement, no, no in any part of the world will ever ensure permanent peace. Jesus, the Son of God, is the only Savior of the world. Praise God for that. And the angel says that this baby would hold the title Messiah, or some translations say Christ. Uh, and this, this word, Christ, is, is a title. It's not Jesus' surname. It's not Jesus Christ like he's born from the family Christ. No, it's, it's a title. And it means rescuer. Finally, the angel says that this baby will be the Messiah, the Lord that he will be God in the flesh. How amazing, how stunning is that? He'll actually be God. I mean, essentially, he's declaring that God himself has come to us and unfathomably wrapped his infinite being into, an, into a finite fleshly body. In one sentence, I mean, we just took like five minutes to explain those titles. In one sentence, this angel has dropped some of the most richest, deepest theological truth on these shepherds. And I mean, if the sight wasn't enough to just blow their minds, hearing those titles just dropped like that had to have been dumbfounding. This baby was the long-promised king of kings who would be from David, who would be the rescuer, who is also God in the flesh. But the angel doesn't just stop there. He also gives them a sign so they'll know exactly who this child is. The baby will be wrapped in cloths, which was very common. It was a very common way of caring for newborns in that day. Today, it'd be like swaddling an infant, swaddling a newborn. But the angel says that the baby would also be laying or lying in a manger, and that was not a common thing. Uh, for, is not a common way to care for newborns in that day. This combination, though, of care for wrapping the baby in cloths, but lying him in a manger, placing him in a manger, would have been a very distinctive thing for these shepherds. And one commentator writes, the combination of these two things imply that in spite of seeming rejection, symbolized by the manger, the baby was the special object of his mother's care. So like the rest of this whole description of the birth of Jesus, being carefully wrapped in cloths but placed in a manger would have been a peculiar combination. Just as the angel gives this sign, though, we see that this one angel is not alone. All of a sudden, I mean, it's almost like these two sentences, this, these four truths and this sign, I mean, cause the rest of the angels in heaven to erupt in praise, and they appear there. They're, those sentences are so chocked full of truth that the, once the angel declares it, a whole host of angels reveal themselves and begin worshiping and declaring the glory of God, almost like they can't contain it. And by the way, just so that we're not confused by that word host, that's not a small group. I mean, that's not 50, that's not 100 angels, that's not 1,000 angels. I mean, we're talking about hundreds of thousands to maybe millions, to potentially every angel in heaven is there declaring the glory of God. 
that's um, uh, amazing, astounding to think about. I mean, this is a really special moment in history. Nothing like this had been seen by people before. The angels rejoiced and they declared the glory of God. Here in this one passage, we find the only moment in the course of human history that something like this happened. The reason for this goes back to what I said at the very beginning of this time in the Word. This was the most miraculous moment in history. Almighty God took on flesh. He became one of us. And He entered into our fallen world in the most humble of circumstances to reach out to the lowly, to the hopeless. Look back at verses 13 and 14 with me. It says, Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to people he favors. Even their worship of God reveals the majesty of what's going on. God has shown his favor to mankind. Some translations have verse 14 as glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And I don't want to take a long time. We could spend probably an hour (laughs) unpacking that. But let's just take two seconds and address this. Because this is not just in this passage. It's also in many of the Christmas carols we sing. That that thought. Uh, It's not that humanity has done something special here. It's not something, we haven't done something special to please God on our own merit. That's not what it's saying. I mean, that would totally defeat the purpose of Christ even having to come to earth. We wouldn't have need for Jesus to come and live as one of us and die for us if we could make things right with God. We can't make things right with God. So that's not what this passage is saying. We didn't do something to, to catch the eye of God and then him say, oh, let's, let's do this and Let's declare this message because God's well-pleased in people. No, no. In the magnificence of God's glory, He chose to look upon fallen humanity and extend favor. He chose to make a way for us to have peace with Him once again. And not only did He choose to do that, Scripture tells us that He was pleased to do that. It pleased Him to extend favor to humanity. It pleases God to see once fallen creatures who have been redeemed by Him in in His majesty now worshiping, living in relationship with Him, and making much of Him. The most magnificent, worthy being ever. So as you hear all of that today, stop. Just stop and take note of this. If the angels in heaven marveled and rejoiced in this, then we should stop. And we, it should cause us to marvel. It should cause us to rejoice. It should cause us to pause and contemplate the depths of the majesty of this amazing act. And this message of good news wasn't just for the shepherds. The angel said, it's good news for all the people. That phrase has significance that ripples all the way back in Genesis, the very beginning of the Bible, where God promises Abraham that his descendant will be a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. So from the time of Abraham until now, this prophecy now is fulfilled that this child, we bring you good news for all the people. That's this child is the good news. The promise given to Abraham thousands of years before is now fulfilled in Jesus. That's That's amazing. But then, just as quickly as the angels are declaring the glory of God, Scripture says they're gone. 
and they return to heaven. They return to their place in heaven. And our passage then shifts this attention back to the shepherds who uh, probably dumbfounded or trying to collect themselves after just experiencing this. Verse 15 says, When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Suddenly as they appeared, Luke says they were gone back into heaven. The shepherds decide to go and to find this child and to, just to, to see all that the angel told them about. And our English translations don't quite give this justice from, from the original language. And, the, and, and when we translate it into our language, it just doesn't quite capture the sense of what these shepherds are saying. In the Greek, it paints the picture that there was an extreme sense of urgency behind this, surrounding this conversation. That there was this compulsion to go. They were so deeply affected by all they heard, by all they had just seen, that they, they were compelled to go and see for themselves. There was a deep desire in their hearts, not just to know that it happened. Oh, that's great. Praise God for that. Let's get back to the sheet now. No. We've got to go see this thing. I don't know about you. I got to, I've got to see this thing for myself. As you and I consider Jesus, consider the hope that he, that he offers and contemplate the implications of this message of good news. The offer from God is not just to know that there's a God who loves us or, or to know that you and I have the opportunity to have a relationship or even to know the, the deep truth of Scripture. The invitation is not just to know. It's to actually experience it for yourself. Let's go straight to Bethlehem and, and, and see what's happened, which the Lord made known to us. That's what they said. And it's that invitation from Psalm 34, 8 that we see there. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the one who takes refuge in Him? Taste and see. Friends, I invite you today to taste and see that He is good. To know that happiness when we make Him our refuge. That same invitation that the angel gave, the, gave those shepherds so long ago is what's on offer for each of us today. Come and taste and see for yourself. And what did these shepherds find when they finally arrived in Bethlehem? Well, they found the Savior of the world, God in the flesh, lying helplessly in a manger. Over the years... Uh, Dina and I have had different friends who've collected nativity sets and scenes from different places around the world. And as you visit their home at Christmas time, I mean, these things are beautiful. And they from different places, and they all have different kind of character traits from different countries. And, and they're so beautiful and ornate that they kind of become the centerpiece of the Christmas decorations. You know, they're kind of put out on a special place. And the colors of the scene are vibrant. You know, the, the characters, they all look pristine. Mary and Joseph are so pious and they look upon the, the child with such adoration and, and worship. And it just looks like Mary and Joseph have it all together. But the scene that the shepherds came upon as they walked upon these two and, and the baby was far different from those nice and tidy nativity scenes. Jesus was lying in a manger, which meant... Best case scenario, 
Mary and Joseph were staying in the downstairs of a house with some animals. Uh, or they found a cave that was also used as a stable. But worst case, they were in a small stall with other animals with very little shelter, very little refuge from the elements. See, tradition and not Scripture has informed uh, most of our, our details about this story. The Bible never mentions a lot of things like an innkeeper, uh, which we, we attribute to this story. He's not actually in the story. Even the concept of an inn was really better translated as guest room in, in a house of someone in the village. Uh, but there was no wise men yet. I mean, that's 18 months or so down the road. You know, there's no wise men who are part of this night. The actual first nativity scene was quite different from what tradition tells us and what, what tradition has led us to believe. And I just have a hard time believing that in the real-life version, this precious teenage Mary, who had just gone through the amazing feat of childbirth and four days prior had traveled 75 miles to get to Bethlehem, that she was back to 100%, just looking on in adoration, totally herself, uh, kneeling by this manger. The scripture says that she pondered it all, that she was reflective, that, that she was meditating upon all this. And I have no doubt that it seemed daunting to her, you know, that, that she wondered how she would do what was set in front of her. A chapter earlier in Luke chapter 1, as the news of her pregnancy was first announced by the angel Gabriel, we see that she again ponders the news and then, then it leads her into a time of worship but that worship, no doubt, came in the midst of trying to discern all that was ahead. And God, I, I'm worshiping you because this is magnificent news, but I have no idea how I'm going to do this. Only by your grace. I, I also find it hard to believe that in the real life version, that Joseph wasn't feeling just a little bit of stress of the first hours of fatherhood. That, that you know, when some of you dads in the room and maybe you're watching, you, you think you've, you've read up, you've studied up, you've talked to your friends who, who have been a father, and you think you know what to expect only to be smacked in the face in those first moments of, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? <laughs> How am I going to do this? Uh, the reality, when it hits, is far different from, from the perception. No one talks about who delivered the baby. Who delivered the baby? That's kind of an uncomfortable thought. We don't want to think about that because it leads us down different things. But was there help around? Was Joseph's relatives helping out? Was, or was there the scandal of Mary's uh, pregnancy causing discord in his family? Was that causing even more strife? So that, there's just a whole lot around this situation that the nativity scene that we put out doesn't paint for us. Did Joseph risk becoming ceremonial and clean to deliver the baby? There's just a whole lot we could talk about. It's a stressful situation when you think about the details. In the real life version, things were not as pristine. It wasn't a sanitized hospital environment. Neither was Silent Night faintly playing in the air as everything kind of unfolded. Joseph had been forced to make this journey by an occupying government who wanted to flaunt their power and their authority by having this census. He's, made, he's forced to make this journey. And even though he might have been happy to see some of his extended relatives in Bethlehem, we don't, we don't know what met him there. There might have been frustration in his heart of, right now i got to make this journey when Mary's this late into her pregnancy? Right now i got to talk to this family member when I know they're just going to give me grief over this whole thing? 
I don't want to belabor this, but just one more thought. I mean, th- that comes to my heart as I think about this nativity, the actual versus what we put on display. The smells of the animals were all around. I mean, smells of blood and birth were in the air, as was the distinct mixture of manure and hay. We don't like to think about that. That's not on display on our mantle or your centerpiece, you know? Needless to say, this is not the environment you would expect the Savior of the world to be born into. This is not the environment you would expect the, the King of Kings, Almighty God, to be born into. No one was flocking to see this child. There's no royal welcome. There's no celebration from world leaders. And you think about over the last few years, the royal babies that have been born here, how a whole nation watches and waits and and wants to hear of the news. None of that was happening. Silence. No celebrities. No world leaders. Just the shepherds show up to see this baby. That's such an apt picture for us today of the gospel. It's not just for the elite. It's, it's, it's not for those who have it all together. It's for the common everyday person as well as the rich and the powerful. It's for everyone. It's actually for the downtrodden and the outcast, for the lowly, for those who live on the fringe. That just leads to, to really three reflective questions, reflection questions this morning. What's the position of your heart as you consider those positions today? What's the state of your heart? Do you have an awareness of your need for hope in your life or for something more than what you've experienced in this world? Are you drowning in loneliness and hopelessness? If so, then the gospel is for you. This message is for you. Hope is for you. Relationship with Almighty God is the gift that's being offered to you today. That same baby who was in the manger and grew, he lived and he died so that each of us could know hope. And it is with this sense of hope we see that the shepherds left the scene. They left amazed. In fact, they were so astonished by all they witnessed that the passage says they reported to everyone around everything that they heard. I mean, essentially, they were turned into evangelists on their way home, declaring that the Savior had been born. But then... They went back to their sheep. They didn't stay by the manger. They didn't stay in Bethlehem. No, they went back to the context where God had placed them. At DBC, we we tend to make a, a really big deal about Jesus' final words at the end of Matthew, Matthew 28. And it's given the title, The Great Commission. At the very end of Matthew, Jesus says these words. In Matthew 28, 18, it says, All authority, Jesus came near to them and said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. It's easy for us to read that passage and to think that that's ever, only ever accomplished when people leave everything behind and go somewhere else in the world. I mean, didn't Jesus say go in verse 19 there? Go into the nations? But maybe a better rendering of that phrase is as you are going. As you're going about your life, as you're going about your day, as you're going about your, the, the, where you are, 
make disciples. Yes, God does call some of us to leave everything to go to other places in the world for the sake of the gospel. But and, and maybe He does want you to do that. But what we've seen is that most often, God doesn't call us to leave our normal life and context to go and make disciples. He simply calls us to be obedient right where He's put us. That kind of obedience means doing exactly what these shepherds did amongst family and friends, reporting the message that the angels had given to them. The news of the gospel changed their perspective. Life circumstances were still hard, but their hearts were forever changed. I mean, they still had nights in the fields, sleeping out in the fields, tending the sheep. They're, they were still part of the most downtrodden cast, class in society. But the hope they experienced because of this night, it changed their purpose. And it was now to worship God and to tell everyone they encountered about the hope they found. The experience changed the way that they understand, understood their circumstances. Regardless of geography, God is calling you. He's calling me, He's calling you to be faithful to declare, to declare the message that the Savior of the world has come. There's now hope where things once seemed hopeless. And maybe that's you today. Are you feeling hopeless? Maybe you didn't even realize that was the word you needed to use to describe your situation until I, I brought that up. But is that where you are? The message of good news is for you today. Jesus has come for you. The message of hope is for you because it's for all peoples of the earth. This week I came across a great quote as I was reading about this subject. And uh, it's from a theologian and commentator, R. Kent Hughes. And it says this, No child born into the world that day seemed to have lower prospects. The Son of God was born into the world not as a prince but as a pauper. We must never forget that this is where Christianity began and where it always begins, with a sense of need, a graced sense of one's insufficiency. Christ, Himself set in the example, comes to the needy. He's born only in those who are poor in spirit. See, it's not until we come to the end of ourselves and we realize just how insufficient our own efforts are and just how deeply we need God who freely offers us hope that we're in a place to understand this story. We, we can't know the depths of this story until we know the depths of how much we need God. I read another one of his quotes later on as I continue reading his works, and, and he, he says this, It's not enough to hear about Jesus. It's not enough to peek in the manger and say, Oh, wow, how nice. What a lovely scene. It gives me such good feelings. The truth is, even if Christ were born in Bethlehem a thousand times over, but not within you, you would be eternally lost. The Christ who was born into the world must be born in your heart. Religious sentiment, even at Christmas time, without the living Christ, is a yellow brick road to darkness. Today, we want to offer you the opportunity to actually taste and see that God is good, that He does offer hope. If that's something you want to discuss further, I want to invite you to talk to someone about that today. If you're watching on our live feed, I want to invite you just to click that raise hand button. And there's someone who would count it a privilege to pray with you and talk with you. Just talk about questions that you might have.
If you're watching this later, feel free to contact us on social media. Contact us by email, info at denistonbaptist.co.uk. If you're here this morning in person and you want to talk about this, we'll be available after the service to do that. We would count it a privilege to do that. Scripture's clear. Mary and Joseph were obedient and faithful, but life wasn't easy for them. Are you in a place where you're, you're just tempted to, to doubt God's goodness? You've been walking with Jesus, but it's just, things are hard. You doubt that things are as bright as what you read about in God's word. Let's learn from Mary and Joseph. Life was hard and confusing for them too. It would have no doubt been easy for them to look at all of their circumstances and given in to the hopelessness, just being frustrated by the apparent injustice of it all. Injustice of it all. I mean, you think about this. Even though they were diligent, they were faithful to live godly lives, they still had to deal with the rumors surrounding Mary's pregnancy. They still had to, to deal with her traveling a very long distance in the late stages of her pregnancy. They had to deal with the actual birth regardless of the circumstances, still took place away from all that was familiar and comfortable. Even in, their, even in their obedience, God used their broken circumstances to demonstrate His majestic glory. Man, He allowed the hopeless to see the arrival of the literal hope of the world. And then He used those same shepherds to be His messengers to spread the good news of the birth of Jesus. Today, know that even... If you're walking with Christ, we still feel the effects of brokenness. We still feel the effects of this broken world. So I leave with just a couple of application questions as we close. One, will you be like Mary? I challenge you to be like Mary. To ponder God's goodness and the hope that He offers. To treasure God. To marvel at His goodness. Two, will you choose to be like the shepherds who on their way back to their sheep and sleeping outside, were so overwhelmed with joy that they couldn't help but share the joy of this message with others. Maybe you actually do sense a calling to go somewhere else in the world. Maybe that's God burdening your heart, and we would love to chat with you about that. Don't want to discount that today. The angel did say, I bring good news for all the people. And there's space to pray and talk about that. Either way, He's calling you and He's calling me to be faithful in these days. To, to be right where you are and to share the truth of the gospel. To testify that we serve a God who offers hope. Your perspective di dictates your circumstances and how you respond to your circumstances. Because of the news of delivered to the shepherds on that night, there is hope. I just challenge you, don't stay in hopelessness. Don't stay there if that's where you are. There's a better way. Look to Jesus, the hope of the world. Let me pray for us this morning. Father, we thank you today. We thank you in your goodness, in your mercy, in your kindness to us that you offer hope. Thank you, Lord, that things are not bleak, they're not dark, but they are actually bright because of the hope that you give Lord, I pray that for many, you would give courage and boldness to step out in faith, to trust you. Lord, for those who have never done that in their lives, Lord, I pray that you would give them the boldness to do that, and the courage to do that, to step forward in faith, to trust that you are actually trustworthy. 
Lord, for those who have been walking with you for many years, Lord, I pray that you would remind them, rekindle the fire in their hearts, that you are trustworthy, that you indeed offer hope. And not only do you offer it, but you invite us in to be messengers of that same hope. Help us today to be faithful to do that, to be living examples of the hope that you give. We bless your name today, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, church family. God bless you.